Would you pray with me, please? Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. Amen. So we are beginning this series, uh, Dust to Disciple. And what a great way to start the series by having Dave come up to me and say, you know, your stole's on backwards. So I've, did any of, any of you notice that besides Dave? So, yeah. So. This stole was actually made for me this week by a woman at Christ Greenfield Lutheran Church. So I adore her and she has uh, blessed me with this. So I get to debut it tonight, but uh, I could at least get it on the right way. That would be a nice way to start. So we're in this series, and I feel particularly dusty and vulnerable because of that, but um, from dust to disciple, again, during the Lenten season, we talk about how, how, how we started so low, but then Jesus has this plan for us to be a disciple. That's our commission as a church, is to go into all the world and make disciples, not just make attenders, not just make good Lutherans, not just make potluck participants, but to make disciples of the Most High God. Uh, Psalm 103 says that he remembers that we are dust, but Jesus doesn't leave us in the dust. He wants to make us disciples. We often say that we're saved. So as a Christian, you're saved from hell. You're saved from your sin. All of the the potential damage that's going to come to you because of your performance in this life, you are saved from that. But you're also saved to something. You're saved for something. You're saved into an experience that God wants to have for you. Can I say this? Because I'm still new enough to this whole Lutheran thing. Lutherans have a hard time with this. Because Martin Luther was so insistent that we were justified by grace through faith, not of works. Works do not save you. Amen? Amen. Lutherans. Of course, we are saved by that pure gift. So when anybody ever comes along and says, hey, you know you should do good works, good Lutherans want to pick up stones to throw throw at them or pick up hoagies or bratwurst, whatever they got, they want to stone them. Because we we don't talk about works here, we're Lutherans. But the Bible says that we are to be disciples, we are to be schooled, we are to be followers of Jesus and the way that he lived. Not just the fact that he saves us from hell, but he saves us into this new life that includes obedience, that includes righteousness. And Lent is a season when we are frank about that and we talk about that. We know that we fall so short, and the good thing is, even when we fall short, we have been forgiven, we will be forgiven, and forever we will be being forgiven. Forgiveness covers us all the time, but at the same time, we walk with Jesus to become who he wants us to be. So with that in mind, we want to start talking about this idea of of being a disciple. Being a disciple is not new to Christianity. There are lots of disciples in the world. I think you know that. Lots of disciples of, uh, say, Confucius, famous Chinese thinker. History tells us there were 3,000, but only 72 of them ever got it right. Ooh, that's, a, that's a, an elite group. Not like our discipleship in Christianity, where everybody's called to be a disciple at different levels. We also have Socrates. He had a lot of disciples. Who was Socrates' most famous disciple? Plato. Plato is one of Socrates' disciples. So that whole idea of there being a teacher and a follower, 
big in the Judeo-Christian world as well. Uh, In fact, the whole synagogue system was developed, historians say that it was developed uh, by Ezra and generations after Ezra, what they called the men of the great assembly. They wanted to make sure that in, basically in small groups, not just at the temple, but in all spaces, in all places, people would gather, they'd hear the word, they'd walk in the word and be disciples of the word. So that was built into the culture even before Jesus. Uh, The famous uh, discipleship schools of Hillel and Shammai in the Jewish world. And then even John the Baptist came along. What did he have? He had disciples, people who followed after him. So discipleship is nothing new, but Jesus is something new. Discipleship in Jesus, discipleship of Jesus is something completely different to history. And so as Christians, when we go to the world and say, we want to make disciples, we want you to be a follower of Jesus, what does that mean? Does it mean just to hear his moral principles and try to do those? Is there more to it than that? Is it, is it just our best attempt? Is it a self-help group? Or is discipleship something beyond? Well, the first thing we, we, we see when we, we say that Jesus is a different kind of uh, discipler is that he's got something on Socrates, he's got something on Muhammad, he's got something on Buddha, he's got something on Confucius. What is it? Well, he's God. Very good. He's God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Now, first of all, he's God, which means he's perfect, which means he's ultimately modelable. God only is perfection. And so if we're going to follow somebody, to follow the perfect is great. But he's God in the flesh like us. We're in the flesh. So how can we possibly model after God unless God uh, became flesh? The word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us. And we see his glory, but we also see how he lives. We serve a God who didn't just say, hey, I'm going to throw some ideas at you. You work that out down there, fleshy ones. But he said, I'm going to come and show you what it is to be a perfect human and now follow after me. So one big thing is we've got God in the flesh. And so if people go, ah, all religions are the same. (laughs) They're not. Not only do we have God in the flesh, we don't have time to get into this here, but not only have God in the flesh, but we have that very God abiding in us to make it all happen as well. I mean, this is an incredible thing that only Christianity offers. But not only, not only is he God in the flesh, but there's something very unusual about Jesus in that he leads us on a very different kind of path. So as soon as you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm just warning you that Jesus, Jesus isn't what he isn't what I think most people figure him to be. We, this is God coming down, and he's going to want to tell us how to live and be really nice and be forgiving and kind of help out. He's going to make our life better. If we just follow his rules, we'll have a very pleasant life. But that's not the, the, the full truth of discipleship in Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, it's going to involve suffering. Suffering. So this leads us back into our text. I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bible, it'd be great if you opened it. If you've got your bulletin, you still have the text in front of you there. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 11, 
Peter says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Wow, is that a good Lenten verse or what? Do you know that? There's a war going on between you and you. Between the you, you know you can and should be and are empowered to be by the Holy Spirit and the fleshy you that just yanks against you. Anybody feel that war going on even today? Seconds at the potluck? Come on, you know you felt it. You had to rebuke that. That is a ticket for inner conflict and especially in, in, our, in our world today of, of addictions. Any of you who have suffered through an addiction or know someone who has, that's, that's just your flesh and your body just waging war and it can be brutal. Jump down to verse 19. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? In other words, if, if, if you're stupid, you deserve to be punched in the face. But if, if you get unjust suffering in your life, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Commendable, but more than that, in verse 21, it says, and, and this, is, this is staggering. Verse 21 says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When we're initially inviting people to become Christians, we usually don't lead with this. Welcome to church. God calls you to suffer. Jesus did. Jesus did not just to suffer for you on your behalf, but also to show you that your life, your following in him, is going to embrace suffering of your own. Because there's a battle going on. You feel it inside, and not only inside, but outside. So it's not an option. Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. See that? It's, it's, it's like, almost like we're bipolar. I'm denying myself. On the inside, there's this war Take up his cross and follow me. Luke 14. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So this idea of cross bearing, we follow Jesus. Jesus was the cross bearer. Jesus went all the way to the cross and we follow him there. We follow him into that suffering. We're called to that. We are purposed for that. And that's not as exciting as uh, maybe some other things. It it doesn't preach as well. If you, if you want to get a lot of followers, you say, Jesus has come to make your life a bed of roses and it's all going to go great now and he's going to bless you. You're going to have money miracles and you'll be healed of everything. And I want some of that. But Jesus says, here's the reality in our world. God is good. The planet is broken. And when God redeems you, you are behind enemy lines and it's tough living this out. The Isaiah passage, Isaiah chapter 50. This is such a great passage. Listen to this again. The sovereign Lord has given me, this is the prophet Isaiah talking, so, but he's also talking prophetically in the words of Jesus himself, the coming Messiah, who says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me, in the, he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I've not been rebellious. I have not turned away. This is a blessed truth teller. 
God has, has shown light on him so that he can share things to others. But then he says this, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. See, this is par for the course for a truth teller. In the world that we live in, if you represent God and you boldly proclaim those things, which are simply brilliant and wonderful and loving to the world around us, you're going to be treated badly. You are going to be crucified. It's your cross to bear to boldly proclaim and embrace the truth of the word of God. Verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I love this. I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? So this is Lent, folks. A time of setting our face, setting our direction, setting our path. We know that suffering is going to be involved, but we know that God wants to walk us through it, and we will not be disgraced or put to shame. Suffering is part of the picture but all the suffering will be redeemed. As I was thinking about these texts, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23. It's a favorite, right? We, we, we read that at a lot of, lot of funerals, but it's, it's just a favorite verse for people when they think about the transitoriness of this life. But, but listen to this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's like discipleship. God is leading us in those paths of righteousness, right? But I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's right. But you are with me. That's right. Your rod and your staff, you comfort me. That's right. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This doesn't sound like a friendly place that I'm in. It's a valley of the shadow and it's my enemies. But God is with me. He's there to comfort me. He's there to lead me. And surely what? Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And ultimately, what's the destination? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see that picture of the Christian life? The picture of the Christian life is that God embraces you and says, be my disciple. And ultimately, I'm going to get you to the other side where you have eternal life and eternal joys. Goodness, mercy forever. But here's what you get to experience in the middle. My rod, for a little whack every now and then, And my staff, like sheep, kind of push you along and disciple you on the road. And I'm going to take you right through the valley of the shadow of death, right through your enemies. Don't worry. Your daily bread will be provided. I set a table for you. But this is the life that you have. David saw it. That's why David said, surely goodness and mercy is there. And surely the Lord is my shepherd here. But there are tough things in the middle. It's the suffering God has called us to. It's unavoidable. Are you game? That's discipleship, is the rod and the staff of God walking us through a life that includes suffering. So we have a different kind of God and a different kind of path, and finally, a different kind of conclusion. And I've already kind of referenced it, but I want to go to the gospel passage in John. It says, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. This all sounds really good. My children... I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he gives the new commandment to love one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? He wants to follow, don't we? 
wouldn't you? Where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow me. But you will follow later. Interesting. But where was Jesus going that Peter couldn't follow? Well, where was Jesus going where Peter couldn't follow? To the cross. To hell. To resurrection. To ascension. Seated at the right hand of God Most High. The time has come for the Son to be glorified. And I'm going on a journey and you can't follow me here. Peter is saying, I want to follow you. Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. A good sentiment. But Jesus answers, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. This is Lent, folks. This is our Lenten experience, isn't it? Because we want to follow, we try to follow Jesus, we have our best intentions, but this war wages inside of us. It's like I can't even tell myself the right thing to do. Lord, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? We try to walk through. I I admire Peter for wanting so, for for only denying Jesus three times. Because I think I denied him 40 times just today. He's, He's given it his best shot. But here's the ultimate good news for Peter, and it's tucked back into this passage in one little sentence. So God is leading us into this suffering life of discipleship. We set our face like flint. We say, Lord, I'll give my life for you. We try our best, but we deny him three, four, five hundred times. But Jesus says, where I am going, you will follow later. You will. And that's because ultimately our Lenten experience of wanting to saddle up and follow closely after God and commit ourselves to things and say, God, I'll lay down my life for you. Ultimately, our salvation doesn't hinge on our performance. It hinges on Jesus' performance. It hinges on his cross, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And that is our follow. So back to the, back to the uh, 23rd Psalm. The Lord is the, my shepherd. He's walking me through this life. But then he has to go. But surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the way and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of what Jesus did. Not because we're going to win that eternal battle or we're going to stamp out sin in our own. But because Christ has stamped out that sin for us. That is our salvation. And that's our hope. What it does not do is end the battle. Now. It's still raging, and God wants us to be victorious in that battle. So this is interesting. Following Jesus. I'll tell you what, you can follow Confucius if you want to. You can follow Plato. You can follow Muhammad. You can follow Buddha, Krishna, Joseph Smith, Darwin, Hawkins, or Dawkins. And you'll follow them all to the grave because that's where they end up. Only Jesus has life at the end of his life. Only he is followable into eternal glories. But the only way we can follow him is through the valley of the shadow of death. But if we follow him there, righteousness, goodness, and mercy are ours forever. So praise God for his salvation. Yes? Do I hear an amen out there? See, I was a Baptist at one time. 
and uh, they amen a little better than you do. But their beer is nowhere good as yours, so I'll, I'll let that go. But praise God for his salvation, but buckle up, because discipleship in Jesus is rigorous as we lay our lives down for the lost people of our world. Wow. Are we ready for that? And that's what Lent's like. Lent is boot camp, gathering ourselves ready for that life because the world needs us to be faithful, needs us to be bold in our proclamation, and needs us to walk closely with our Jesus and follow him all the way to the end. So let's do this. Let's follow Jesus. We're going to receive an offering right now, um, and I'm going to pray for it before we, uh, be, before we receive it. Uh, but just want to encourage you... Uh, as you give financially to the life of the church, I know many of you give on Sundays, so maybe not prepared to do this on Wednesdays. In the days of the early church especially, the, the church, they clung to each other and they helped each other because they were all trying to walk closely and follow Jesus in a world that would put you to death for that. And most of the Christians were poor and out of their poverty they gave to help each other just eat Apostle Paul took offerings to send down to Jerusalem just to help with famine. I, I don't think that when we give our offerings in our affluent culture that we think just how important our gifts to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ are. So especially during the season of Lent, would encourage you, along with the offering of your soul, the offering of your prayers, but also the offering of, of your finances and your gifts, your almsgiving, if I can use that old-fashioned term, that you would also wrap that up into your Lenten observance too and ask the Lord, Lord, how could, I, how, how could I be a blessing in this way too? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the offering that you gave us in Christ. And thank you, God, for the offer you give us to be your disciples. You say it's not going to be easy, and yet you say that your rod and your staff and your presence will comfort us all along the way. So we reach out to you. We cling to you now. We need you so badly. Keep us strong as you are strong. And thank you, God, that our promise is eternal because of what you've done for us. So we cling to you and give to you for the advance of your name and your glory in this world. In Jesus' name.
I must confess before we go on, Bill, I, I did notice that your stole was on backwards. I just thought it was a weird Baptist thing you were doing, so I apologize <laughs> about that. In all seriousness, uh, just a, a personal thank you from my, myself. Uh, aren't we so blessed to have Pastor Bill with us during the time? Thank you. And what an honorable and simplistic message for all of our hearts to be able to hear tonight. Probably something that is known in our minds, but that we need to be able to receive on a constant basis. Yes, why we gather uh, every Sunday and on Wednesdays during this time of Lent with one another to recognize the God that does these things on our behalf. All those others that Bill mentioned uh, Socrates, uh, Plato, of uh, Confucius, of all the other individuals that tell us that things that must be done, that we must do. But then we hear about a God who does all these things for us on our behalf. And so at this time, let us rise together and speak together those words of our faith, the God that has done these things for you and for me in the words of the Apostles' Creed. We begin. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Before we depart here tonight, please receive a blessing from our Lord. May our Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May our Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.